0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Muddy Knees Media
2: This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash winterval slash holiday season, The Athletic wants you to bog off. Because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself at no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally.
3: Totally Football Show festive special today deck the halls with bows of ollie man united 6-2 winners over Leeds as everyone's views on man united get reversed faster than official guidelines on meeting your nan meanwhile saturday big turkeys getting stuffed at home despite the fact no one's allowed to come along and enjoy it palace liverpool is the game for our times we ask are we on now for a classic man united liverpool title duel plus they're behind you Almost all of you, the Arsenal. They are still doing their pantomime this year, but have they now officially joined the relegation battle? All that and more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. It's December the 21st, and it is our last show before Christmas. Woo! And present, our Daniel Storey. Hi, Daniel. Hi, James. And Sasha Gurionov who was at Selhurst Park on Saturday. Hi, Sasha. Hi, James. And Dominic Fifield, who absolutely was not at Selhurst Park on Saturday, so don't ask him about it, please. Uh, hi, Dom. Hi, James.
4: What happened uh, What happened at Selhurst Park on Saturday?
3: Uh, it well, rained a lot well, at the end. Well, Fair the, you're going to love hearing about this, <laughs> uh, Dom. That's a treat coming up for you. Uh, we've just... Uh, it's Sunday evening, listener. You know, not for you, perhaps, but for us very much, we've just seen... The very seasonal West Brom Villa game, Big Sam's debut, did it live up to your expectations,
1: did it? I think it put into focus the job he's got because um, there's a sort of natural automatic assumption now that Sam Allardyce will improve things and I'm sure he will do a number of things that help West Brom but they are not a Premier League team in anything other than their Premier League status at the moment. I don't think it was it was as bad as it's been under Bilic and Bilic will probably feel vindicated because I think he thinks that he was let down by the club um, in terms of transfer activity and this probably proved him right.
4: Mm. Well, long way to go, of course.
3: A word about Villa, perhaps, their performance?
4: They were very, very good but then they were playing West Brom and West Brom team with, with 10 men. I was I was a, slightly confused. I don't know where the other guys were on the call but on, on the dismissal of... Um, well, the non-dismissal of Courtney Howes, um, who seemed to, to go over the top in the same way that... not Maybe not exactly the same way as Jake Livermore did um, on Jack Grealish. I suppose Livermore, Livermore was more of a lunge. But Courtney Hall seemed to to make contact pretty high up on the Deng- Engana's shin. And from one angle, it looked a nasty, nasty challenge, and yet was only deemed worthy of a yellow card. I suppose West Brom... West Brom have a bit of a gripe already about VAR and the fact that they seem to be victims of it more than benefiting from it. Although Villa did have a goal ruled out by an armpit today as well, mm. um, but I think that might just fuel that talk of a, a bit of an agenda against them because it was it was quite mystifying.
3: It was it was the lunge apparently that was key yeah. according to BT's referee.
4: Yeah, well, mm. I agree with Daniel by, by the way on, on, on West Brom. People talk about the Sam Allardyce effect but I mean at his last relegation fight and not really counting what he did at Everton because that was just a squad that was underperforming and should have been higher higher up the table when he went into Palace he had a poor start there pretty much uh, and spent 40 million pounds in January on four players to to take them up the table and and by the end of that that season they were they were winning at Liverpool they were they were winning at Chelsea they were beating Arsenal at home He's not going to get forty million pounds, fifty million pounds to spend at West Bromwich Albion. So I think it's a far, far tougher task.
5: Well, this this is the thing I found crazy about the whole Billish situation. He spent hardly any money. They went up with the Championship squad. They kept it. I mean, you see that Fulham reinvested and Fulham are doing a bit better. Um, so I don't really know what they expected from Billish, to be honest.
3: Mm. Chilling words there for West Brom fans. That brings to the end of the first two days of round fourteen of this season. Two games to come on Monday. It all kicked off on Saturday with. Liverpool's 7-0 win at Selhurst Park. City then beat Saints by a single goal. Everton won 2-1 at home to Arsenal. That's their third straight victory. Arsenal's eighth game now without a win. And Newcastle-Fulham ended with a goal apiece. On Sunday, Brighton squeaked a point against 10-man Sheffield United. Leicester won 2-0 at Spurs. Man United hammered Leeds 6-2 and Villa had that 3-0 win against West Brom. Burnley Wolves and Chelsea West Ham will complete the 14th round of this campaign On Monday. Then you've got League Cup quarterfinals. Woo! And then you've got a big Boxing Day round of action. Woof. Uh, In the meantime, let me just say that Liverpool are top, Sasha. You stroke they are four points clear of Leicester with Man United one point further back with a game in hand. And a trip to Leicester on Boxing Day. Everton round out the top four at the other end of the Premier League. Burnley are in the bottom three ahead of their game Monday with West Ham alongside West Brom and the Blades. Arsenal now just four points above Burnley who have two games in hand on them. Crikey. We're going to try and make sense of it all,
2: listener. We're going to begin at Old Trafford on Sunday. You're listening to the Totally Football Show sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
4: And again, McTominay's done it twice. Two inside three minutes—the fastest of starts from the Red Devils—and Leeds have been cut apart.
3: Scenes on Sunday afternoon as Man United turned up at home—a 6-2 victory over Leeds, only United's second home, well, a Man United's second home win of the season, featuring all sorts of things, loads of goals. Uh, McTominay with two in the first three minutes. Nobody's ever done that before. And just all round a crazy game of football. Did you enjoy it, Dominic Fifield?
4: Very much so. It was great fun, as is virtually every game that Leeds United feature in at the moment. Um, Manchester United were absolutely brilliant, inc- incisive on the on the counter, but but Leeds were perfect opposition for them. Absolutely perfect. Um, they, they came at them and allowed United just to pour into these wide open spaces that they they left behind and, and, and United ran riot And it is, it is great watching Leeds and I'm sure they'll have enough to stay up and there's definitely an argument that it's far more entertaining to, to stay up in lower mid-table or mid-table uh, playing this way um, as opposed to sort of grinding out your 1-0 victories uh, and clean sheets but i just thought that 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 there was a naivety again today and and i suppose you just have to take take it that's going to happen and he's it's it's not Bielsa has done this well every game this season and they've been picked up apart by by teams who play on the counterattack they lost 4-1 at sellers park nobody concedes four goals at sellers park most teams score seven so i mean it's it's there is a naivety there and i guess you just have to accept that that is the way it's going to go and there will be some wonderful moments and there'll be some absolute hammerings and pastings along the way and it'd be great fun to watch
3: mm. ollie was getting hammerings and pastings of late here and i know Leeds were perfect opposition as you say don but his selections uh, that's ollie going selections were were pretty finely judged to take advantage of the uh, gifts being offered
1: yeah, when I saw the team sheet and and saw Daniel James in it, I it felt it sort of tickled me because it, it felt after picking Dean Henderson against Sheffield United and then Daniel James against Leeds, the club he almost joined, it, it felt almost like picking the team by numbers. But in fact, having that pace on the counter was um, was the golden ticket against Leeds. Um, this kind of man marking system that Bielsa has, when without possession all over the pitch, is it, fine when it works. And I think one of the reasons that these games are so entertaining is that the games become decided by those man-to-man battles. So when they win them, they can unnerve an opposition, which they have done. And when they don't win them, as against United here, and I particularly remember the, the Leicester game at home, they come apart of the seams so quickly and so evidently that games fall away from them in five, ten-minute periods, which is what happened here and what happened against Leicester. Um you know Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes getting the ball on the turn if a Leeds player is half a second late and they play a quick pass which they they did do really nicely and credit to them for that um it was poor Calvin Phillips was was stood there in defensive midfield with three runners literally sprinting at him and nobody to stop them and and nobody could stop them
5: I thought it was quite interesting that McTominay started it. It's almost as if Bielsa forgot to t- tell his players to man-mark him because in the first two goals, he's on his own in midfield. I'm not really sure who's supposed to be picking up. I think on the second goal, he just walks be- in behind Klich and no one tells Klich and he's in acres of space. So I, I found it quite curious that they just didn't pick him up at all, given that they're man-marking team. But I thought for me... Uh, the third goal, 3 0 on 20 minutes, was very good illustration of the problems, I think, that this man marking system has because Bruno Fernandes drags Phillips out of the way. Fred, who I thought actually had a very good game, steams into the gap. Martial makes a diagonal run across the Leeds defense and they're all over the place. And then in, in the ensuing confusion, you know, up pops uh, Bruno Fernandes to, you know, to, to slot it in. But I thought they almost like they had fast pacy players confusing this man-marking system to the extent that it couldn't really function mm-hmm.
1: the, the one the one thing I would say about Leeds that slightly worries me is that they are clearly going to play this way all season assuming Bielsa stays and assuming Bielsa remains as dogmatic as he always has been and playing Leeds for the first time I expect can be um, potentially can be quite a disturbing experience if you aren't used to a team playing like that but The second time you play them, you kind of know what to expect. And it'll be interesting to see the results over the second half of the season against the teams that they've beaten comfortably, whether those teams know what to expect and can therefore come up with a different plan. Because if you know what your opponent's going to do, most managers will say that's, that's half the battle on the training ground in the week before the game.
5: What happened in the Championship last season uh, when they were playing teams again? Are teams just simply not good enough to actually, you know, they can see what Leeds are doing, but they're not good enough to take advantage?
1: Yeah, their fitness and their running and, you know, their sprints and the pressing was, was like nothing the Championship had, had seen. And they did exactly the same the season before and carried it on and arguably were better at it. Um, and Patrick Bamford took his chances better than they did in the season before. Um, th- there's, a, there's potentially a slight worry whether that can continue in the Premier League. He's been brilliant so far, but he missed one at at 2-0 today, which if he scores and probably should have done, maybe it's a slightly different game. So yeah, that's my my one concern.
4: I just think it's brilliant to watch. I mean, I, I really hope he doesn't change. I'm sure they'll have enough to stay up. Um, there's enough ammunition there for them to stay up and they can maybe dip into the market if needed in January if they want to add some fresh uh, legs to it. But they're just thrilling. They're absolutely brilliant to watch and whatever happens, whether they get completely overrun or whether they overrun opponents, it's just absolutely entrancing.
5: But I think at the moment he still has the buy-in from the players that still clearly believe in the system. I mean, the way they created the second goal at 6-1 down was really hugely impressive. So I think as long as they keep keep on playing for him, yeah, I think they have they have a good opportunity to do them a table. Now let's talk about the team that scored six goals against them <laughs>
3: on <a> Sunday <laughs> afternoon.
5: Uh, I'm still picking up a
3: slight vibe of not quite believing in Oligar Solskjaer and perhaps Man United's credentials uh, uh, from, from one, one or two of the assembled. So uh, They are wildly inconsistent, but they have produced performances like this before against, say, Leipzig. There were flashes of it at Bramall Lane, perhaps Thursday Thursday evening, flashes of the other United as well, but Uh, Richard Adam raising the question of Man United's title challenge because the facts show or the table shows that they are now third, one point behind Leicester with a game in hand. Are we going to be seeing a a Man United-Liverpool title duel this season?
1: My suspicion, um, which is far easier to say on Sunday night than Saturday morning, is that, is that Liverpool will win the league. I thought before this weekend, I still think they will. I think everyone else will probably be, there are so many or too many flaws in the other teams that unless Liverpool get another couple of serious injuries, and I think they'll win the league, but there's no reason why that squad can't finish second. Chelsea are clearly still bedding in. Spurs, we saw today, have their own flaws to sort out. So there's no reason why they can't finish second, nor should finish second. The, the, to my mind, that squad is a title challenging squad. You look at the options when when a player like Daniel James, who just hasn't featured this season, can come in and play like that. When they bring, can bring on Edison Cavani off the bench to to play his his bit. Um, there's so Mason Greenwood. You know he didn't really feature so and hasn't been in the goals recently he's sort of suffered a slight dip but he's still there. There's so many options there. You know the, the central midfield partnership today is not necessarily a first choice one. So yeah, I think I think it should be a title challenging squad and I think it probably will sit just below Liverpool finish second, third or fourth.
4: I don't think they're close to Liverpool and I suspect that over time as Daniel says that, that will that will be very evident. If Liverpool now go on the type of run they're threatening to um but but yeah, I mean, there is a strength in depth there. I mean, th- th- their bench today is <laughs> is outrageously good, actually. When you've got Dean Henderson, he's pushing for a, a place at what has become Euro 2021 now, isn't it? Um, by Pogba, a World Cup winner. Uh, Cavani with his reputation. Juan Mata, Mason Greenwood. He's, a, you know, might be the future of the England team up top. Alex Tellez, Nemanja Matic and Donny van der Beek. That's not That's not bad as a as a nine man bench um, that they have got depth and it's all been about consistency and that's six wins out of seven in the league, I think now. Um, and if they're starting to find some form at home, I, I know it's difficult to take a, a game against an open leads team as, as setting, you know, a reliable tone for what's, what's to follow. Um, and they, they will more often than not, they'll have to break down teams at home rather than playing on the counter. But if they do, generate some confidence at Old Trafford again then yeah they'll, they'll they'll build up more momentum and 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 there yeah there is a there is potential there and then we have to start giving Oli Gunnar to proper credit boy you sound excited at that prospect don
5: <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is there's a good test about you uh, for United coming up against teams that are playing slightly different style to Leeds because they have Leicester Wolves and Aston Villa coming up next. And you know, Leicester set up with two defensive central midfielders, it's going to be a completely different proposition. Let's see how they do against those because I think that's the question mark is still there.
3: Well, let's have a quick word about Leicester now, then, eh? Because uh, this Sunday they knocked Spurs down to fifth with a 2 0 victory at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, they got on board uh, via a penalty thanks to a crazy challenge from Serge Aurier on Fofana. Uh, that was right at the end of the first half and will not have come. As a big surprise to his manager, given that he said this in that documentary, All or Nothing. These people, English.
2: Mm-hmm. I am
4: afraid of you as a market, because you are capable of doing a f- penalty with VAR. So I'm telling already that I am, I am afraid of you.
3: Boy, that did some business on social media on Sunday. Uh, Lesser anyway, coming up. Uh, tuna winners could have had another through Madison whose goal was uh, ruled out through VAR. Madison tweeting, VAR, get out of my life, man. Out here taking away festive goals because <laughs> my armpit hair was offside. Fantastic stuff uh, from uh, James Madison there. But they were they were worthy 2-0 winners, Leicester?
1: Yeah, despite what what Jose Mourinho said after the game. Um, oh, what did he say this time? He well, he well, He basically doubled down on what he said on, on Wednesday night, which is that if you look at the score, you think that we were the second best team, but that's not the case. Now, with, you know, with... Apologies to Jose Mourinho, every Tottenham fan watched that game and will be, I I imagine, pretty emphatic in their belief that Spurs did deserve to lose the game and they've got a problem against teams that that sit deep, I think, because when Harry Kane drops deep, which he he clearly is doing now, and Son starts deep, you've suddenly got a lot of things that have got to go right 40 yards from goal, closer. You know, four or five passages of play have got to go right to create a clear opportunity and... Quite frankly, they didn't create a clear opportunity until Kasper um, Schmeichel made a really, really good save after about 70, 75 minutes. And, and that was about it, really. Um, and that sets a blueprint for other teams to do the same. Um, we might talk later about games we're looking forward to over Christmas, but they, like like United, they go to Wolves next, who will look to do exactly the same, sit deep and counter them. And they've got to find a way, whether it's Jose kind of reneging on his his firm belief that it's, Plan A or, or Plan A, it remains to be seen, but they were pretty blunt against Leicester.
3: He has been a little bit more versatile as, as first manager. As some of that last season because of the you know, the, the absence of, of, of players perhaps that would have fitted with his his Plan A, as you put it. Leicester equally, though, were meant to be bad against teams who sit deep, but they, they managed pretty well here. Sasha.
5: But I, th- I think what Leicester first of all did quite well is that that space that Kane started dropping into. Tillman and Didi sat there, so he had no space. He managed to get one shot off from there, but they were all over him. Um, and Leicester themselves, I mean, they managed to make the game pretty ugly. But I thought all Brighton to Vardy uh, just preceding the uh, all the viral down goal was quite a flashback to 2015, 2016. Good to see it again. A good movement from Vardy off the um, of the defenders as well. So I think you know they, they were efficient. I think Kane missed another chance, another header off a corner from six yards just before half time. So. So maybe if he if if he has stopped burying those sparse but high percentage chances, maybe this is where the Jose Mourinho renaissance falls down.
1: The other the other thing I'd say, slight worry for Spurs, is that they don't seem to be able to, to change the game particularly well off the bench. They've only scored once this season with with when Bale's been on the pitch. That was his goal against Brighton. Lucas Mora came on and he hasn't scored as a substitute for Jose Mourinho yet at Spurs. Um it's almost as if that plan A is so set in stone and the players are so hardwired into it with Kane and Son as the focal points so that if they can't quite take it over the line, there's a bit of an absence behind them of players who can. You know, they don't really have another goal scorer. They didn't even have Dele Alli on, as one of the nine substitutes today. There isn't really that. I mean, Bale's intended to be that that game changer off the bench, but that hasn't quite happened yet. Um, so I, I think that's slightly disturbing as well.
3: The, the Bale uh, substitution, I must admit, I'd forgotten he was there. So, when he appeared on the sideline for the start of the second half, it was a bit like, um, I don't know, like when Bill Murray arrives in Zombieland. You know, when when you have that kind of crossover. I thought, this is really exciting. There's a guest star for the second half, but it was really (laughs) underwhelming.
1: Yeah, he looks like he's playing at testimonial pace, quite frankly, at the moment. That might be a a hangover from not playing much at Real Madrid at Mm -hmm. all, but Spurs kind of needed him to be a bit quicker by now, I think.
3: All right, well, they tumbled to fifth. In the table now, and they'll slip further if Chelsea win against West Ham on Monday night. Uh, Spurs have got Carabao Cup quarterfinal against Stoke on Wednesday. Dust off your can-they-do-it-at on a lines, uh, But just to finish off on Sunday's action in the Premier League, uh, there was also a Brighton 1-1 draw with Sheffield United. Sheffield United were down to 10 men, but looked like they were heading for their first win of the season, thanks to that goal from Jaden Bogle who'd come on to replace club record signing Rian Brewster. But then Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck equalised for uh, the Seagulls. Brighton are only two points off
4: the drop, you know. I'm not convinced that losing 7-0 at home to the champions is is a worse result than failing to beat 10-man winless Sheffield United at home.
1: No bias. (laughs) No,
5: at all. No, no, I mean, it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there seems to be some kind of theme here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it
4: may recur. Um, Bright- Brighton's problems are the same. I mean, they they, they they create chances, some of them good, and they don't take them. They play some lovely approach play until they get to the final third, and then they just sort of
5: evaporate. But I, I probably think, it's, it, I mean, this is where you look at yeah, look at Brighton, and if shall mention Palace, let mention Palace again. It's the quality of the personnel in the decisive areas up front. And I think this is where you can really tell the difference between, you know, sort of a top six side and the sides lower down, how they managed to deal with those chances or half chances they get. And Brighton weren't able to convert them and say Palace on Saturday weren't able to convert them. And you can just see that gap in quality.
4: Any positives for the Blades though? With uh, the, hmm? I thought that they, weirdly, went he, he made a, Chris Wilder made a, a, a tactical change at nil-nil, uh, half, half an hour in took off Fleck, who... Was integral to so much of the, the good stuff they did last season, so it felt like a bit of a moment. And he brought on Oliver Burke, um, and his his direct running and pace actually shifted the momentum within the game for about ten minutes uh, until John Lindstrom's challenge and dismissal. Um, and and that that is a promising sign for Sheffield United that they had they had something different they could offer, and there was a threat there, and they they were causing Brighton. Um, some problems just I mean not nothing clear-cut one or two chances and David McGoldrick had a free kit that was well saved but for from from with 10 men for them to take the lead with with Bogle's you know virtually his first touch as a Premier League player was was brilliant reward for their industry and endeavour um, but the problem they've got you know despite doubling their season's tally of points in one afternoon they've they're still winless they're still conceding a goal two or three minutes from time, which will be utterly, utterly deflating for them all. Um, and it's hard to see, you know, where where there's light at the end of the tunnel that they're in at the moment, because it's the confidence must be shattered by yet another setback. So late on in the game,
1: it's also too little, too late. Because I think they basically they have to, if, even if they match their performance over the whole of last season, they only get to thirty six points now um and i mean that might be enough this season but um it would be a brave person that suggested they would match that performance so even those rays of light of coming you know they they might well help chris wilder if if he's planning to stay on on the club are planning to keep him on long term whatever happens but yeah it's too little too late now even though we're only in december
4: if if they look like a team that it's it's fine margins every match with them. They, they rarely get absolutely pasted. They were at Southampton, they lost heavily at Chelsea. Generally, they, they lose by one goal. And it, so it's just little moments in games that last year went for them, this year are not going for them. They, they, they look like the type of team that will go on a run, an inexplicable run of four or five wins at some point this season, just on the bounce. They'll just go and win games, narrow contests, win four or five matches. But they'll be coming back from so far back that their next setback, their next defeat, will just plunge them back into the mire, and it sort of feels as if already they're doomed. Unfortunately,
5: the thing is, I think there was there was some something of this theme about Norwich last season. Okay, different style, but there was a thing about Norwich playing decent football, right? Um, and then it got to a stage where they had to win half the games, and Daniel, Fabio, yeah, 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 we'll 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 do this, and then they don't fail. That they, they failed to win like two of them, and yeah, that was it. They were too far adrift. Well,
3: Sheffield United have Everton coming up on
5: Boxing Day uh, in a second
3: or two let's get on to the team that had the second worst result then this weekend third worst if you include Leeds getting beaten 6-2 and that was Palace who lost 7-0 you know to Liverpool Liverpool
0: well, the fans who are back in the ground today for the first time are making a lot of noise despite being spread out all the way from pitch side to the uh, highest tier. Yeah, I'm not sure they should be there, Mark. Now, why is that, Steve? Well, you're not allowed to watch a game in the highest tier, are you? Uh... Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. If one leg of your 4 plus four fold lets you down, get a free bet on all football and all markets. The Acca Cracker, from Paddy Power. Max free bet, £10, min odds 1-5 to five on each leg, online exclusive, exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, plus be aware.org. FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu.
2: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kaye, and the very best football writers around.
0: Salah. Shoot, oh, it's a beauty! It's an absolute beauty for Mo Salah and Liverpool.
1: It's 7-0, and that's as good as any of the goals we've seen today.
3: It was a mixed day for our panel on Saturday as Liverpool beat Palace 7-0 at Selhurst Park. Sasha was there. Dominic Fifield wasn't. Uh, it was Crystal Palace's biggest ever home defeat. Dom, yeah? It was. First time we've conceded seven, apparently, yeah. Sasha, it was the biggest ever
5: Top flight away win by Liverpool. Yeah, it's the second time I've seen Liverpool score seven away from home. 2006 FA Cup quarterfinal away to Steve Bruce's Birmingham City. That was a good night.
3: So I was going to ask, actually, this would be sort of the best performance you've
5: witnessed in how long? I think it was a second excellent performance in the week or in a matter of days because I thought Liverpool actually played really, really well against Spurs in obviously a different style of game. Against um, Palace, though, at 1-0... Going back to the thing I said about, you know, the personnel. Palace had five or six really good chances getting around the size of Liverpool. And the final ball really let them down, particularly Jordan Ayew, his decision-making. You could see, like, I, I always look at Ayew and think he, yeah, he's sort of middling, sort of lower lower half of the division striker. Because, he does like, in those decisive moments, you can see the decision-making between, say, him and Firmino, and also the skill. Um, maybe this is a bit of an unfair comparison, but... I think better striker creates one of those goals for um, for Crystal Palace, particularly the one the pullback he did behind Zaha. I think after that Zaha just lost the plot for the rest of the game uh, because he just he was like, "Oh, I had an open goal here." And I think what Liverpool did then, Liverpool were literally defending Trent Alexander Arnold was having lots of problems, and then bang, Mane scores, and after that, Liverpool just just absolutely ran away with it. Every 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 single thing they did came off. One of those days.
3: Ben Smith asks, which one of the goals during the deluge? watched at Selhurst was
5: Slash's favorite. Oh, definitely the third. Uh, the transition because there was a sli- there was a slight sort of prelude to the third as well. I think Van Anholt took out Trent, and they had a bit of a barny like going on argument going on, and they were in that corner, and then Eze loses the ball. And before you know it, Firmino switches it to um, to uh, Robertson, who takes two touches, plays it into the box. Firmino controls it, unbelievable first touch, completely kills the ball between the two defenders, and just lost it past Guaita. And I was just looking at like this is football. I mean, this is <laughs> this is like goes into a manual for counter attacking football. And yeah, Liverpool didn't look back for, after that.
3: Firmino and Robertson have gone the almost the length of the pitch in the course mm. of that that move you just described. It's yeah. fa- fabulous Sala's Salah's uh, second was. Pretty amazing as well. Yeah,
5: but by then Spalas weren't really defending. I mean, Van H- van Anholt was in front of him. He let him go on his left. I mean, that was I mean, that, that was sort of end game. But I think what was what was excellent about Liverpool was that A, they were relentless, and then once you know, once they started scoring, they they didn't stop. Uh Mane was furious to be substituted off because he clearly saw there's goal gonna be goals there. Uh the way the substitutes work as well, I mean Salah went straight in. It was great to see Oxley Chamberlain back. Um, because I mean, he's had yet another lengthy injury, and I think it was just, it was just an afternoon. Like everything came off for Liverpool. It's sort of reverse of Villa, where everything came off for Villa. In fact, it's, it's like a weird weekend because United scored six at home after conceding six at home about three months ago, and Liverpool do the same uh, for an away game. Uh, but yeah I mean it's like talking to Klopp after the game I mean he's just like you know, what can you say Uh, he was was just Mr. Happy and it came at a good time they're on the roll they now get eight days off as well to recuperate almost just looking at this thinking maybe should carry on playing but he was very much in the camp of Vienna we we need a bit of a rest Um, there's players coming back perhaps they're just uh, hitting the former at the time where they can actually pull away and indeed over the last two games there's suddenly four points cleared at the top
4: Mm. Tom what about you which goal was your favourite
5: third as well I thought it was outstanding
4: absolutely outstanding and um i mean to be honest the game was over at half time completely it was over at 2-0 but it was but the second half was a non event for for palace they they just that that was just, that was a disappointment from the day for it, apart from losing 7-0 home, um that, that there was no real fight or or Response in the second half to try and at least limit the damage, but then to be honest, Liverpool were completely untouchable anyway. So I don't think many many teams would have would have um, really cope with it. It did did bring back it did bring back horrible memories of going into school as a fourteen year old back in nineteen eighty nine on I think it was a Tuesday morning, possibly a Wednesday, um, and and having sort of people that you know schoolmates who I didn't think really liked football, but suddenly for some reason had become Liverpool supporters overnight? It was very weird. I was getting a lot of WhatsApp messages yesterday, which uh from people I didn't realise were Liverpool fans, but um but there you go.
3: It's, it's continuing on. So this was after the 9-nil?
4: Yeah, sorry, I should make that clear, yeah. <laughs> which were, were also 3-0 down at half time. But right. they were actually weirdly, there were similarities in the in, in terms of those two games as well. And as much as Palace actually, as daft as it sounds when they lost 9-0 in eighty-nine at Anfield, they actually hit the post with a free kick early mm. on. We were competing. They had missed a penalty at six 0 put it out the ground over the Anfield Road stand. I mean, they they were a young, raw uh, team back then, very very naive, and just kept attacking and kept on getting picked apart by Liverpool, who were the masters and reigning. No, they weren't reigning champions, were they? But they were they they were um, they were the champions elect for that year. Mm. Whereas this time. You know, you don't think a Roy Hodgson team is going to fall into those same traps, but this is a Roy Hodgson team that hasn't kept a clean sheet since the opening day of the season and is making a real attempt to be more attack-minded this year and has incorporated Eberici into into the team and Wilfred Zaha, and they just got picked apart in the same way. It was a mercy you don't have to go into an an office this this Monday morning, Dom, no? But they'll still
3: find you anyway. I mean, you know, the people. Never mind.
1: (laughs) The, The other... The other way we talked about Liverpool's, um, you know, biggest away win and coming after a seven. Palace also recorded the biggest away win in their history two weeks ago at West Brom, and you know, two weeks later suffered the biggest home defeat. This it seems a very will da- know more about this than me, but it seems a very dangerous time for Hodgson to suddenly start changing and Palace to become pretty unpredictable. When I'm guessing his job is not particularly safe, partly be given. Given partly because he's been there a while and he's he's getting on a bit.
4: It's, he's in the last year of his contract. I, th- I think he's fairly realistic about the way things are working out and, and keeping Palace in the division is is the priority. And the supporters have been asking him and demanding a more expansive style and, and indeed the board went out and spent 18 million pounds on one of the most attack minded and refreshing talents in the championship over the summer. So I don't have any. I mean, look, it's been working really well. Six days ago against Tottenham, they were brilliant. They, they, for 15, 20 minutes, 25 minutes in the second half, they absolutely dominated the then league leaders. So it's, it's, it's just, it feels freakish, but, but the only real. Proof of as to whether it was freakish or not will be how they react at Villa Park and mm. and how they on Boxing Day and how they, they do against Leicester City in their next home game and are, are they going to be picked apart again by a team like like Aston Villa or a team like Leicester City?
3: Right, and it, you know it's very it's further proof of how weird 2020 is. But we should say that they were missing Christian Benteke. Uh, Sasha, are you going
5: to tell us about Liverpool? No, but I mean, laughing apart, are in, instead of Benteke? I think are did not put enough pressure on people like Henderson in the Liverpool defence, because it was virtually the same team as against Spurs, apart from the striker. And I just think there was a disconnect in midfield, which A, allowed Henderson more time, B, Kater absolutely bossed that midfield, I think probably contributed to that as well. And in the end, you were looking at the at the game and thinking that there's just not enough beef in that midfield to actually deal with with the Liverpool three who were just running rings around them. Um, so yeah, I mean, as, as Dom said, I mean, I don't think it was particularly logical to pick this team, but it just on the day, the two systems came up each other, and one of them just found huge gaps. So, Liverpool
3: have been showing hints or giving warnings of this kind of form that very dominant performance against Wolves, the victory over Spurs midweek, which you referenced, Sasha. And as you say, they're now four points clear on top. What weakness might there be in this suddenly very impressive Liverpool side that might see you not repeating as champions, Sasha?
5: I think teams that would outrun them like Fulham did, uh, for example, last week for half an hour, and then Liverpool took, they did recover, but it took them a while to recover. And also perhaps teams that, um, you know, going, going back to the original point, um, uh, that defensive shape, uh, because I thought again against Fulham, Liverpool kind of missed Shakiri and Jota, just a bit of precautiousness, a bit of something unusual about decision-making in midfield, which is maybe if Thiago comes back, then teams would really, really struggle against that as well. So I think... Um, yeah, you just you, you just have to somehow outrun Liverpool. Um, and unless they pick up some other injuries, I don't really see them falling away here.
3: The other thing that can hurt Liverpool, Big Sam, last man to win, visiting manager to win at He's Amplen. next, yeah. It's coming up next. Anyway, that's on Sunday. Excellent. Now, uh, just to round up uh, the other results on Saturday, Everton went top four with a 2-1 win over Arsenal. That's their third victory in a row for Carlo Ancelotti's side. Uh, It was, of course, facilitated by an own goal from Rob Holding, Richard Jolly pointing out that the players captaining Arsenal have now scored for Burnley and Everton in Arsenal's last three games. Then Yeri Mina with the second Everton goal. That was in the 45th minute. And I'm sure you've all seen the stat. It's bizarre, isn't it? His last four Premier League goals have all come in the 45th minute. Wow. To Joe says this is the second time in Premier League history that a player has scored four goals in a row all in the same minute. The other time being Chris Eagles, who scored four 90th minute goals between 2007 and 2011. Quirky, says to Joe. I'd say that's more than quirky. Although I think that the 45th, 90th might be a slightly flexible kind of timing employed by uh, people keeping scores. But yes, yeah, still amazing. Uh, anyway, there are probably more salient points to make about this game. Uh, Everton being in the top four, but not having any shots on target in the second half. What do you think?
1: I think Ancelotti has done really well to kind of change the mood, partly because he's done it by switching formation and telling Richarlison, but more so Alex Iwobi, to protect those inexperienced fullbacks. Um It worked really, really well against Chelsea and it, it worked again here. Um, and also for for sharing out the goals because there's no doubt that Everton's early season form was was fuelled by Dominic Calvert-Lewin's goals but the last seven goals in the league have been scored by seven different players and getting Gilfie Sigurdsson in as number 10 clearly gets the best out of him and that might change, you know, his position will be under threat when when Rugiris gets fit but... Um, yeah, that feels a new mood, partly because they've beaten three teams that would have expected to finish above them and partly because, as you say, they're in the top four for the first time at Christmas since 2004, which is, um, you know, peak David Moyes era Everton. So, yeah, I, I worried when they dropped off in form because Everton tend to do this. But there's there there are signs of real sustainable progress there, I think.
3: All right. As for Arsenal, if you were a Premier League manager, who would you want for your next fixture? Arsenal
4: or Sheffield United, say? I'd probably take Arsenal on the basis that I wouldn't... Sheffield United will end this run at some point and will get a result against somebody, whether it's fortunate or not. And Arsenal, just look, fallible, awkward, uncomfortable, um, ill at ease with virtually everything they do. Um, They're just a bundle of anxiety at the moment and it's it's actually quite painful to watch. There were periods in that second half when I was glancing at the screen and they they were attacking and I thought oh look they they they're showing a bit of character here they're they're having a go but but the lack of instinct in the box when you've got even people like Alexander Lacazette in your team was alarming when balls are being fizzed across the the goal line in stoppage time and there's nobody making that darting run it just I don't, I don't know. It must be anxiety because it can't be caution. It has to be. It, it, it could also it, be just not being bothered. I, I don't, I'm not sure that. I'm not sure it is. I think that might be a bit, bit harsh, even on right. Arsenal to to claim they're they're not bothered. Uh, I think there probably are issues within that squad because it's quite a big squad at Arsenal, and and you know the, the guys that aren't playing. They, they will, I imagine there will be cliques in the dressing room, etc. And those issues are something that Arteta's got to work on. But I think the team he puts out will be committed to to doing their best for Arsenal. I don't think it's a a case of not being bothered. I don't think they're not playing for him. I, I think there is genuine support within the team for the manager at the moment. But it's not working for one reason or another. And at some point, something has to change and it, I imagine because it doesn't sound as if there are any noises that Arteta's is about to lose his job, that it, it may be that the, the manager's approach has to change and maybe he has to go slightly more pragmatic and and, and maybe play on the counter attack. I think most of those good results I had towards the end of last season. I think I'm right in saying that they they didn't have much of the ball in those games and yet they they pulled out results against the likes of Liverpool and and Chelsea in the cup final and 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 the like and I think Manchester United somewhere on the way as well. It's it's maybe maybe he has to be more pragmatic and put those those great that, that great philosophy that he brought just to one side for a moment just to get Arsenal out of a rut and then maybe reassess things in the summer when he can clear a bit of the deadwood out and bring in some new players who are more suited to the type of play that he wants to, put, wants to instigate.
1: Just to reiterate Dom's point, they've lost they've lost six of the eight games this season in which they've had the most possession, um, and they're just as on reverse to they're just so easy to play against. Um you know, it can be the, the death of some teams if they sit too far deep and invite the opposition on, but when you're playing Arsenal, there's there's no fear there. Um, because you can do that and you you know what's coming, and you know you're gonna have a chance to either profit from an individual mistake, to make the most of a set piece, to, to counter them. Um there's just no fear when when playing them. I think I think William is the Williams the one player that I think could undermine Arteta because he clearly pushed for the signing in you know at a time when the club was pleading austerity and poverty uh, and then handed 100,000 pounds a week to a 32-year-old winger on a 3-year contract but it's the way he seems to you know, Mesut Ozil was moved out of that team because um he was deemed to be too much of a luxury player that couldn't fit in with the this Arteta philosophy but I mean, Williams doing none of that. He's done doing none of the tracking, none of the pressing, and he's not doing the creating either. He's had one shot on target all season in the Premier League. He's created chances at a rate of about one a game since the opening day. So, and he stayed on for ninety minutes at the weekend. It was bizarre.
3: Is that the reason that Uzal was moved out? I always wonder if there was anything else behind that.
1: Yeah, there might. I mean, there are there are. I don't want to say rumors because it sounds gossipy, but there are a kind of. Suspicions maybe that his his head's not quite right, and that therefore he's he's better off out of the team at the moment. But the fact that his you know his his social media persona, of nothing else, suggests that he'd quite like to be in that team right now. Uh, it might be that this, that this has come too late, and there's too many bridges been burned. But um, there's not many excuses for not having Erzul in that team if you're playing William for ninety minutes nearly every week. To my mind.
3: All right. Well, an excellent result for Everton now. Also on Saturday, Man City beat Saints 1-0. Saints also losing Danny Ings to a hamstring injury. As much as they have diversified their goal-scoring of late, that's a, a big blow to Ralph Hasenhutl's uh, outfit. Uh, but a very useful result for Man City. How about we discuss Newcastle Fulham, uh, which ended 1-1. Which was more ridiculous? The Matt Ritchie own goal, or the Callum Wilson penalty tumble and subsequent decision
5: by referee and VAR. What do you think? He, he did kind of trip him, didn't he? Did he? I, th- I don't think st- did. He not step on his foot. I mean, there was a lot of limbs going going around there. I thought he might have slightly tripped him. I don't think he but, did, but then maybe, you it know... There was but, a bit of contact outside the yeah. area, wasn't there? Was it? Maybe, right, okay. Yeah, it's, it's hard to tell whether it was on the line or just outside. I think there might there was a bit of contact. Um, okay,
4: but... But the but the, the tumble was mm. theatrical.
5: Okay, what about Matt, Matt Ritchie
3: then? What happened there exactly? It was like he has an extreme allergy to a football or something. <laughs>
4: Well, I wouldn't suggest heading one is a good idea.
3: To <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he um, he he was the chap who kicked the corner flag into the Newcastle oh, fans' yeah. uh, well groin. Anyway, uh, so that one finished one-one. Daniel.
1: Yeah, I just there are moments in in games or periods in games that seem to kind of crystallise supporters' views on the team and the manager for for better or for worse. And I just thought Newcastle playing thirty-four minutes against a team in the bottom three against 10 men. They had four shots in the final 34 minutes and we're actually pretty lucky that Cardalo made an, an excellent save to keep the score at 1-1. And it, it just feels to me like Callum Wilson is leading that team a, a lot more than, than Steve Bruce's because without Callum Wilson, they'd be in serious, serious trouble and, I go back to something I said a couple of weeks ago, Steve Bruce said it would have been really good to have the fans in the stadium cheering us on and it, we would have been able to get over the line. And I thought, I, I think you've really misjudged the mood amongst Newcastle United supporters if you think that having them in the stadium cheering you on would have been a helpful thing because I think he's pretty lucky they're not there because I think they would voice their pretty clear displeasure after most home games at the moment. They, they, they beat Crystal Palace, they beat West Brom, they will be fine this season. But almost being fine is slightly plays against Bruce because it means, like Dom said with Palace and Hodgson, it means that there is room f- to play some different style of football and he doesn't seem to want to do that.
5: I think it's still amazing that they managed less possession against a team with 10 men, uh, which I think pr- probably sums them up. Uh, what I would say for Fulham... Um, Maybe I was still a bit giddy when I went to see Fulham Liverpool last Sunday because that was my first game back. I'm a little bit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What was there to be giddy about? (laughs) uh, Well, being back to the football. I mean, (laughs) when I was uh, cycling down towards towards Craven Cottage, I was like, ooh. Um, Nearly shed a tear. Uh, But what what I did enjoy about that Fulham team, and I'm wondering how they're going to react now that they've lost Anderson. um, Against Liverpool, I thought the... um, uh, the role that the uh, Cordovarid had uh, was brilliant because uh, this is uh, James maybe you might recognize this uh, the old trapatoni system that they uh, used in the early 80s and Roberto Bettiga just getting up and down the, up and down the wing and this is what the corddovaride is doing and I think if you actually look at the system maybe Parker has been, uh, looking at that old Italian um, style because there the is, since he switched to this and he's, since he started using the Cordova Riz this way they've started defending better. Anderson I think has been the key as well and I think they've become much more interesting to watch. They've also become much more versatile within games. Against Liverpool they went hell for the first 30 minutes and then they defended pretty well for the other 60. So I think of the teams down there for some reason, like I'm looking at Fulham now, they're probably my favourites to stay up. For anyone who didn't spend their 80s at the Stadio Comunale, um, <laughs> how does it actually work? Should... So basically you have you have a, you have three well you have two centre backs in a sweeper of course they're full back playing a sweeper so he had Gentili Brio and he had Chiré behind them he had Cabrini as a full back on left hand side. But there was no technical... right Technically, there was no right-back. So you had Betica just going up and down the wing doing both roles. And De for um for Fulham, depending on the opposition, because he's an attacking player, he can actually slot back outside Ola Aina and become a five-man defence. He doesn't really do that much defensively. I think he just like kind of stacks up. There's basically a wall of players defending, which I thought he did very, very well against Liverpool. Against Newcastle, for example, when they were playing with 11 men, he didn't really have to do that because obviously they aren't, you know, they aren't putting as much pressure on. But I think that adds... certain sort of bit of flexibility. I mean, I'm not going to say that, you know, Lukman is Boniek, but there's, 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 there is this this there is a certain uh degree of attacking play coming from that side. And they also obviously, you know, loftus Cheek, for example, is no Platini, but the, the creative midfielder is kind of in, in, in that area. And then, of course, there's Paolo Rossi up front. I mean, none of them are as good as that. But I'm sort of looking at thinking, maybe there was an intermediate stage, but what I recognised there was Trapattoni. You really were, didn't you, <laughs> weren't you, at this stage? <laughs> I,
1: like, I like the fact that that Sasha had to caveat that by saying that every Fulham player is not as good as the (laughs) player in that great Juventus team. (laughs)
5: <laughs> but they, they're playing with an idea now, there's a mm. sense of purpose, there was, you know, like w- watching them live, they, they were working for each other, whereas early in the season it was, it was basically a complete rabble. And I think there is you can sort of sense there is a change there, and they're picking up results, all right, they've been like three draws in the last three weeks, but they're not defeats, and mm. they stopped leaking like the huge amount of goals they were early in the season. So I'm actually, I'm really impressed with Parker, and also, you know, of the three sort of managers to play against Liverpool, sorry, b- b- banging on about Liverpool this week, but I thought he was the most impressive because... Mourinho set up quite predictably. Obviously, Hodgson, just the system didn't work at all. But Parker adapted through the game. Parker really came with a good game plan and he got the results. Scott Parker-Tony, they're going to call him. Right.
3: Excellent. Well done, Fulham. Well done, Sasha, as well. Uh, after this, let's talk about Christmas and the treats coming up this week.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
2: Sponsored by Paddy Power.
3: Hey, listener! This Friday it's Christmas. Sasha, what's Christmas like back home?
5: Not now. It's two weeks later.
3: Oh, right. You have the Orthodox we're,
5: Christmas. We're, yeah, yeah, we'll have. We'll have. But a what's June it like Canada. when it does arrive? uh to be honest you see it's difficult for me to talk about this because when i was living back in the ussr christmas was banned we had no christmas right uh, we had, much we had like New now Z. then yeah pretty much yeah so mm. basically we weren't ruled by tories for 75 years but you know there, there are certain similarities well we're both ruled by russians i think is possibly the, the oh, well there you go james yeah. you see it
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay so thanks for that um christmas back home anecdote <laughs> um Christmas in football, of course, is, is possibly the most Im- important time of the year. Uh, this time around, we've got the festive fixture pile up, but We're missing a lot of the other traditional features that I know, Daniel, you're a fan of, like uh, teams' Christmas parties. Uh, yes. We've had some special ones of those over the years. Dwarf tossing at Chelsea. A lot of players wearing fancy dress of Adolf Hitler. Uh, Man United players bussing in 100 women for that 15-hour drink up in a Manchester hotel. All those golden classics. And uh,
4: Dom, do you have any fam- favorite Christmas parties over the years? I I, I vaguely remember a, a couple of Chelsea ones where players such as Ashley Cole ended up sort of leaving early or ending up in in an Arsenal Christmas party on the same night. Uh, Is that does that, yeah, does that ring a bell? I'm I think sure so. Happened. Yeah, sure that, possibly whilst it was all unraveling at a stage of the season, probably under Carlo Ancelotti. Possibly, yeah.
3: They, they also used to have football on Christmas Day as well, and not just on the Western Front, but actually kind of uh, top-division football. This went on until 1957. I, my mind is always slightly boggled by this. Uh, Christmas Day 1957 was the last one with a full league programme. There was an attempt to revive this tradition in the 1980s. Did you know this, Daniel? Yeah, did, it was Grimsby,
1: Grimsby, Grimsby Town were involved, I know that.
3: It they? was uh, ooh, I, What I've got here is a 3rd Division Brentford arranging to play Wimbledon. At 11 a.m. Oh. on Christmas morning, Brentford official Eric White said, "We hope to revive the old tradition of the husband going to football on Christmas Day while the wives cook the turkey." Um, but the the woke fans, you know, did for him because they they protested, and the the game was brought forward to Christmas Eve in Wimbledon one four three anyway. Wait, what did Grimsby do then?
1: I think it was exactly the same situation. Right. There was a yeah, there was an attempt to um, make Christmas Day for the the male football the, the the generally sadly neglected male football fan right um and yeah there the, were the protests and it was moved to the the day before it's not much to
3: us one day is it
1: <laughs> yeah i know yeah i mean the, the football is literally only on that day of the year as well so well, we do get boxing day still
5: sasha are you a, a fan of boxing day football I have been to games on Boxing Day. Um, I noticed that they don't usually tend to put big derbies on Boxing Day anymore because I think of the police. I think it goes to like early 80s. Oh, Um, Even though this year, of course, you have Arsenal-Chelsea perhaps because Mm. there's no fans. My favourite Boxing Day match, um, probably West Brom-Liverpool. Boxing Day 2004, Liverpool won 5-0. It was snowing. It was a pain to get there. And uh, it was just basically, it was just Christmas. It was Christmas.
4: Dom, do you love Christmas football? I do I I think Boxing Day afternoon was it, it, I was always ready to to leave the family bubble and go and uh, experience a bit of a live game and 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 do some work even um or even better to watch it as a supporter. Um so it, yeah it's I mean it, it was a bit of an event um turning up in your santa hat and looking a bit of a buffoon with a hangover and your team losing on a Boxing Day.
3: Liverpool fans or supporters on the in the Merseyside area of the baggies, you can don your Santa cap and, and get along to Anfield. Uh, that game is taking place on Sunday. Saturday, which being Boxing Day, is the goaliest day of the year. More goals on Boxing Day than any other day in the calendar, in the Premier League. Uh, features all sorts of delights. Which, which one game are you most looking forward to? Saturday, it's Leicester Man United, Villa Palace, Fulham Saints, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City, Newcastle, Sheffield United Everton then on the Sunday Leeds Burnley West Ham Brighton Liverpool West
4: Brom and Wolves Spurs what do you think Dom well the fan in me wants to see a reaction from Crystal Palace at Aston Villa Mm. but professionally Arsenal Chelsea just stands out it's uh, going to be intriguing to see how Arsenal cope with it all to see how Lampard sets up Chelsea and who he's got available and whether they can have a team with Ziyech on on the right and and and, and open Arsenal up and really exploit all those insecurities that we mentioned in the previous section
1: right Daniel I think Wolves Tottenham for me um, it's interesting to me Tottenham are now on course for 68 points which given the bright start is is lower than they managed in each of Pochettino's last four full seasons um, so yeah they're in danger of slipping back into the pack and this is exactly the, the type of game that I presume Mourinho wouldn't want um, because yeah, with, if if Triore starts, if um, Podence and Neto play and Wolves look to play on the counter, they can cause them the same problems that Leicester did. I think. Mm-hmm.
5: And uh, in that case, I'll go for Leicester City, Manchester United, right? Uh, to see how United do against a a more defensively organised team against Tilimas and Didi. Um, perhaps against Leicester, who, who do turn up. There have been some games this season where I thought Leicester were strangely passive. Um, but I think this game, uh, they should uh, they should remain fully focused and uh, let's see how United do against them.
3: All right, I mean, it's boxing we We should see loads of goals and probably some very strange results, no? Would that be your expectation? Maybe Sheffield United beating Everton?
1: I think the interesting thing is, is how much rotation we get from mm. managers. It almost feels like a FA Cup third round weekend in that they know they've got games three days later and then six days later. We're going to have to see some rotation, which we didn't really see this weekend, um, other, than, other than Salah being rested for, for 60 minutes. OK. For
3: any of that, Premier League action sees on Monday Burnley taking on Wolves at 530 Burnley, who've taken four points from the last two games against Arsenal and Villa, uh, and Wolves, who've just beaten Chelsea. And then Chelsea themselves that evening will be up against West Ham. I say that evening. Of course, it's this evening for you, probably, listener. Uh, Chelsea have dropped all the way down to eight after Sunday's games, uh, coming off back-to-back defeats. The Hammers are just one point behind them. All right. That's almost certainly going to be interesting and quite possibly be taking place by the time you hear this. So best of luck to both teams. Let's turn our thoughts then to uh, Tuesday and Wednesday's fixtures, which are, drum roll, please, the League Cup quarterfinals. Dom, hmm? who can look at Brentford-Newcastle and not be charmed by the romance of this cup? <laughs>
4: <laughs> I have to say, I, I've spent a, a lot of time covering Brentford without ever really getting to see them live properly. Um and there's so much going right at that club mm. um, and, and a team that is firing. And and we, we talk about their brilliant recruitment, which is something that possibly Newcastle and many other Premier League clubs could learn from. But they they go out and get a player like Ivan Tony from Peterborough for £6 million and he already looks Premier League ready. I mean, he's been prolific already for them this season. Um, they've got a lot of talent in that side and those players will be gracing the Premier League at some stage in the near future, hopefully with Brentford, because they are such an upwardly mobile club, they'll give Newcastle a, a proper proper test. I mean, if, in fact, look at the next three games that Newcastle have got: Brentford, and mm. Manchester City, and then Liverpool.
3: <laughs> would you have Brentford as the
4: favourites for that, Dom? To be honest, yes, I would. Yeah, I would. I, would. I think they they're, they're, they're they the way they play their football, inventive, incisive. Um, if if they get going, if they build up ahead of steam, they'll be very hard to stop.
1: Mm. Indicative of, of Newcastle's business over the last few years is that they, of course, sold Ivan Tony to Peterborough for £300,000 only, well, only two and a bit years ago uh, and managed to get 10 times that with the sell-on clause they included, which was at least sensible business. But yeah, the script is written for him to... Yeah, to show them exactly what they're missing. There's him in the Championship and there's Adam Armstrong, who they also sold for next to nothing, who's, I think, the second-top scorer in that league. So, uh, yeah, I I, I agree. I think Brentford are Mm favourites.
5: And let's also not forget the fact that Brentford sold players in the summer at great profit to Premier League sides, and yet they're still in the playoffs.
3: Also on Tuesday, Arsenal are taking on Man City, who, of course, they beat in the FA Cup semi-finals what seems like a very long time ago. Uh, And then on Wednesday, it's Stoke City-Tottenham. Michael O'Neill, Stoke City are currently seventh in the championship. And also on Wednesday, Everton take on Man United. But which one? We don't know yet. Those fixtures, Daniel?
1: I think uh, the Arsenal-Man City game is interesting because I actually think, although Arsenal are struggling at the moment, what Arteta probably could do with is games in which the onus is not on them to to win and, and end their run. Um, They can sacrifice possession, they can look to play on the counter and, as Dom said earlier, maybe create a blueprint for how they need to operate moving forward in in the short term to claw some points. We know
3: that Mourinho loves the the League Cup. Apart from him, which managers do you think will be most focusing on this competition and which will be turning out the kids?
1: Uh, Bruce should be because the, the, what the biggest gripe Newcastle have with, or what I should say one of the biggest gripes Newcastle fans have with Mike Ashley's ownership is that um, under various managers, they've effectively sacrificed their cup participation despite being just about mid-table in the league. And if Bruce is going to win back those Newcastle fans, which I think were very hard now, success in a domestic cup competition is it. And they've managed to avoid big sides until now. So, yeah, if they can beat Brentford and and get a a semi-final, then he does at least have a little bit of a mandate, I think.
5: I think Ancelotti should at Everton as well. I mean, good push in the league. Um, And again, Everton, the club, has won a trophy for a quarter of a century. I think a trophy would go down very, very well. What do you get
3: for, I mean, apart from the League Cup trophy, what else do you get?
1: Yes, it's Conference League from now on. Which is, I think I'm safe in saying the competition that nobody wants to be in. One of them, certainly.
3: Uh, right, well, having wrapped up the games to come, uh, very shortly we'll be announcing the result of our kind of bijou competition thing for those books uh, with some Liverpool Spurs-related flip-reversing. Before that, though, let's get a quick bit of uh, performance art masquerading as odds from Lee Price of Paddy Power.
6: Hello, listeners. Hope you're well. You're having mixed emotions, no doubt, as I'm back from my final blast of better numbers before Christmas. You'll miss me, really. What will I be doing in the meantime? Well, thank you for asking. Probably singing odds-related songs to my imaginary wife and children while polishing off a type of celebrations in my pants. Ho, 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 indeed. I really need this job, so I better read out some numbers. Here we go. We think Sheffield United and Westbrook are moving into tier two, although clearly in this case, that's not a good thing. Both teams are odds-on to get relegated. While Liverpool may be the only truly top tier outfit in the division, they're now odds-on to retain their title. Mo Salah is favourite for the golden boot, and we expect Man City, Chelsea and United to complete the top four. As for Monday night, somehow Wolves are better than evens to beat Burnley. That's got to be worth a sniff, and that's genuinely a betting insight. Well, as close as I get to one anyway. Happy holidays, everyone, wherever you get up to. Speak soon.
3: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fund stops... Stop. (laughs) Never get tired of Blazing Squad. Last week, listener, we asked you to send in your best Liverpool Spurs-related flip reverses with, as a little carrot, copies of At the End of the Storm going to the six best sliding doors elaborations. Uh, Well done, Robbie Richmond, Kieran Long, Ali Darlow, Cy Hardy, Dan Cooper and Dylan Brady There's Daniel Rowe, who had a kind of nightmarish vision of Liverpool hanging on to Robbie Keane in 2008, so he doesn't go to White Hart Lane, which sparks a chain of very, very believable events, which see Alan Shearer stay in management and Harry Redknapp taking over Shearer's role at match of the day and then thus charming his way into the England job, which all goes brilliantly into the. he loses the World Cup final to Morocco. But anyway, uh, <laughs> excellent stuff, Daniel Rowe. I barely slept after reading that. Kieran Long, meanwhile, <laughs> takes us back to this moment.
6: David Bentley looking for an angle
5: and finding a good save there.
3: Pavlyuchenko's last-minute winner there on the 1st of November 2008 at White Hart Lane. Kieran Long says, record scratch. What if, instead, Robbie Keane had scored in that match rather than Pavlyuchenko, and Liverpool had won?
5: They should have scored about five. Liverpool right. should have been out of sight that game.
3: Right. Well, had they taken those chances, it surely, says Kieran, would have sparked a chain of events that mean that key games that they actually drew in that series see them romp to top of the table and come February Keane stays at Anfield instead of joining Spurs now this means in Liverpool's kind of branch of reality that they then push on win the title Benitez stays and Liverpool win loads of things I find the Spurs branch of it all a little bit more intriguing because Keane's late winner against them uh, means that they continue to struggle he doesn't join. 2010, they don't deny Man City a Champions League place with that late winner from Crouchy. So they never reach the Champions League themselves. Bale never plays Mykon, never becomes that player. Harry ends up sacked, ends up at QPR, where Bale ends up playing for him as left-back. Pochettino never joined Spurs because they were never in Champions League. And Harry Kane thus never gets a chance in the first team. Eventually, he returns to Leighton Orient, saving them from relegation in 2017 and becoming a cult hero in Brisbane Road as a lower league Robert Earnshaw.
1: Cry I player. like the fact that you can change everything with reality, but Harry Redknapp still ends up buying players as QPR manager. There's something there's something very nature is healing about that. I also like the fact that football's brilliant because Sasha's team have won the Champions League and the Premier League in very recent history, but he's still really angry about Robbie Keane missing chances in two thousand and eight. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Never forget. Well done to Kieran and and Daniel and everybody else who's sent in uh, flip reverses. If I was to ask you three for your one moment that you'd like to turn around in time, what what would it be? Just to finish off then.
1: I've got a, I can handily turn mine into a book plug because I've recently written a chapter for a a book called From the Jaws of Victory, which is about exactly this. Um, So I have written in that book about um, Nottingham Forest losing the FA Cup final in 1991 and Brian Clough missing out on his glorious walk into the sunset.
4: Crikey. Dominic? Again, I, I had the chance to interview someone about this, but I just wish Jason Puncheon had kicked Wayne Rooney up in the air in the build-up to Manchester United's equaliser in the 2016 FA Cup final, and he admitted he would have done had he realised the implications of letting him go.
5: Uh, Sasha, okay, I'll, uh, I'll sort of marry the whole Liverpool Russia thing. One thing I hate to be constantly reminded of is Ashavin's four goals against Liverpool. Why? Because of all the things that man did in English football. Uh, His high point had to come when Liverpool were just about clinging on in the title race and he had to have the game of his life. Um, And I would change that. I would let Liverpool win that game and let that title race go down to the wire. Wow.
3: Never mind. The good thing about football is there's almost always a second chance. And whatever happened to your team, listener, etc. and so on, let's hope that the new year... It brings all sorts of great things, and not just on the football field. Why not? We will be back, though, before the new year. For a start, we've got a Euro show coming up on Tuesday. Do join myself, Alvaro Romeo, Raphael Honigstein, Julian Laurent, and James Horncastle for that, because there's loads to talk about uh, from this weekend. And then our regular show will return on the
5: 30th of December for a special year-ending podcast. Uh, Sasha, I was just going to say, um, you know, if people need to keep an eye out, out for something over Christmas. How about Boca Racing on Christmas Eve um, yes. at night? Um, and I think, guys, you should all watch that. And uh, potentially, we're still on for a Boca River final of Libertadores because River beat Nacional 6-2 at the weekend. Uh, just blistering display after the homekeeper got sent off.
3: Brilliant stuff. All right, we were flagging some of that up on Thursday. But it, it, yes, that was Very yeah. nice. Mm -hmm. Very nice. OK, that's on all the BBC red buttons and and kind of players and things. Guys, many, many thanks for being with us today. Have a super holiday. Uh, Dom, Daniel and Sasha and you, producer Charlie, and you, listener.
2: And we'll be back soon enough. Have a wonderful time in the meanwhile. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com